This call is now being recorded. Hey now. Hello, hello there. Hey now. Hey now. (laughs) Fafafui. Are we going to get demonetized for that? Yeah, I know. If we say that shit, we're going to get in so much trouble. I think we're already in trouble at this point. Okay. You can't, you can't, you can't say, hey now, with hey now. Uh, bass in your voice uh, or, or, uh, yeah, Stern will, Stern will come knocking. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's a nice guy now. He's all mellowed out. He, he wrote a, he wrote a new book and he has yeah, daughters. It, it, and, it's like a gentrified Stern. He likes to interview people now and actually talk to them, not ask them about like their first time with their wife or their first time ever or how it was right. to thank Sarah Jessica Parker or, you know, the stuff that we all kind of wanted to know now doesn't get talked about. You he know, he actually likes to be interviewed now. Yeah. 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 Which is weird. I don't, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of gentrified certain. I feel like you you reached the pinnacle and now you're just you're you're not entertaining to me. Because I mean really what what was entertaining to me was him breaking the edge or pushing the edge and sort of like, you know, breaking the rules. Yeah, right, that, right. That, but now he's just showing himself to be like the nice guy he's always been. Yeah. But exactly. <laughs> that's not entertaining. Nice Howard Stern, get out of here. Well, it's it's just like at the end of at the end of interviewing, you know, a celebrity who's pretty hot, you know, you should ask them if they want to sit on the Sibian and then say, you know, Jenny McCarthy <laughs> did it and and then ask them if they want to sit in a tickle chair if they refuse the Sibian. I mean these things are just customary ways of, you know, keeping guests happy and stimulated throughout the and, interview. Right, and uncomfortable. Yeah, like it's both. It's like happy and stimulated and uncomfortable. That was yep. the magic that he would bring. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so rest in peace, Howard Stern. He's not dead though, but he's dead no. to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no. So what we're what we're going to talk about today is um, more. More about the ongoing, uh, I guess, struggle or fight against the uh, troubled teen industry that seems to be moving forward, like two steps forward, one step back. I mean, this is a common thing over the years that that there's these glimmers of hope that things might change and then they don't, and new uh, facilities pop up and yeah states and um but uh before we get into kind of some of the details about what's going on uh for people who don't know because there are so are a lot of people who don't even understand what that is the trouble team industry uh yeah i thought we'd go through kind of some uh information about what you know what it is so so i, I came across a an article uh, partially written by a a girl who uh, is explaining what happened when she was 14 years old. So she lived with her grandparents in a wealthy, gated community, went to a private school, and suddenly she found she had access to the Internet, and it, it, it changed her life. Her world opened up, and she discovered heavy metal music, and she started learning the guitar. Yeah. And her ambition, she says, went from to become a judge like her grandfather to becoming a rock star, which is pretty cool. Like, that seems like a reasonable aspiration for a 14-year-old girl who's just discovered uh, the world, right? Absolutely. Yep. And that's, that was, that was it. Like, that's the thing. Uh, she discovered metal and her wealthy grandparents said, oh no. So they decided, her grandparents decided that the best way to reverse that trend was to, quote, ship my ass off to a camp for troubled teens in Montana. Um, 
and in her experience, she learned some, quote, terrifying truths about an industry dedicated to taking America's at-risk youth, and I think we're beyond our 30-second limit, and <clears throat> fucking them yeah. up in the worst way possible. So, she, and she kind of details some things about how it works. So, for those that don't understand what the troubled teen industry is, this kind of breaks down a few things about how they operate. So, number six, uh, your parents can hire people to take you away, or in this case, your grandparents. So, uh, she goes on to say that one night in August 2004, she uh, awoke to a man and a woman in her room whom she had never seen before telling her that they were her escorts and they're going to a place called Wilderness. Right? Just like in the middle of the night. So she was not allowed to bring any belongings or tell anyone where she was going. And, of course, she didn't know what, it, what escorts and wilderness meant and was uh, rightfully terrified. Um, you said it was like being at least Liam Neeson's daughter had taken if it had turned out that Later, that Liam Neeson had arranged the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so, <clears throat> she basically was, um, you know, legally kidnapped. So, she was driven to an airport where they got on a plane to uh, Idaho. And I don't, I, I guess she was in Montana, I think. I don't know. Anyway, she ended up in Idaho. And um, she says she didn't try to run. Uh, yeah, and running wouldn't have done her much good because later she learned that kids who resist have been pepper sprayed and hogtied. And as a reminder, you know these are supposed to be children who are um, suffering some kind of trouble. So, so right off the bat, it doesn't seem like something you should be doing to a kid who has. Issues, so to speak, right? If we're in, absolutely, we're in, absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and then she goes on to explain that the actual uh, taking and transporting kids, destined for programs like the one she was headed to, is handled by companies um, like one called the Center for Safe Youth which right. actually emphasizes the element of surprise on their FAQ page. So she goes and looks at the at the page from Center for Safe Youth, which is a fantastic name. I mean, it sounds yeah. like so great. So the question is, should I tell my child in advance, even the night before? And their answer is no. Prior knowledge will only serve to increase the child's anxiety, heighten defenses, and force the child into a bad decision, such as running away. So they want this to be secret. They want it to be sudden. Um, and it's uh, that's just horrible. Like, in, in, in almost any other case, you think that something this, this big, big of a change in someone's life, you'd want to give them some fair warning about what's going to happen next, or even, God forbid, include the child in on the decision making. Yeah. So, I but mean, no, they don't want to do it, that. It's a horrendous way to start off, like some type of healing process or some type of, you know, rebuilding of a team. It's a horrendously inappropriate and um, frankly damaging way to, to start off. You know? Yeah, and, we're, and so Rather, far we're just talking about the transportation. We're not even yeah. there yet. Yeah. We're not talking about anything else. And, you know, the fact that these people are so cold and they give so little information and that you're warned off the bat that, you know, they'll hogtie you and pepper spray you. That's, right. that's you're, you're creating a... What you're doing is wrong. Like, in the, if you can't see that, then you're crazy. Right, that's just wrong. Like to uh, yeah. 
and uh, there's nothing about that 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 is that is you know therapeutic or beneficial for the team at all, at all. Right, right. So, so what leads a, a team to to be put in this position? And uh, Tory Jane is the name of the uh, the author here. This former 14 year old who I suppose is now in her 20s. So she says. So what kind of crime does a kid have to commit to wind up subjected to this? Yeah. And the answer is anything. Uh, kids, kids can be sent away for drug use, depression, eating disorders, really any behavioral issue you can dream up. Some were sent away for bad grades or for not following yeah. the family religion or for being gay. Um, it's an industry that survives on parents' fear that their kid is quote unquote at risk. So it's anything. In fact, there was a, there was a school in Georgia that I was looking at a few months ago and their main criteria for wanting parents to send them there was boredom. Um, if your kid is, if your kid is showing signs of boredom, send them to us and we will revitalize them in some way by keeping them isolated in the wilderness. Without and I want to, yeah, go ahead. I want to just state that when, when I got a chance to ask others who were captive with me in Heritage and Devereaux why you were here, a good majority of them really didn't have an answer for it and didn't know. You know, so this kind of, this secrecy and this kind of like communication between parent and, and program as to reasoning is is normally kept from the child the entire time. You know, that can go yeah. on for years. That can go on for years and years. You are gaslit. You are gaslit to the T from day one. Yeah, I think in her case, um she had no clue. Um and yeah. it turns out that it's because she was into, you know, youth culture yeah. and and, you know, normal stuff. It wasn't, there, was, there wasn't any, uh, real bad behavior whatsoever. It was just, uh, we don't like the direction that you're going in. We've got the money to be able to ship you away. So therefore we're going to do this in private and have people show up and take you away. Yeah. Pretty. So as she goes on, this is number five. Your, your parents give you up to a private company and, um that's a that's a crazy thought and and she says at this point you're probably wondering how could this possibly be legal couldn't any sufficiently rambunctious kid just flip out when he and his escorts get to a public place and trust the police to take care of the rest nope as much as it looks and feels like a kidnapping, those escorts have the absolute legal right to transport you against your will, even if that means carrying you through the streets, handcuffed to hell and back. There is a legal process where parents can sign over custody of kids who need residential care. Need need be uh, being a very uh, ambiguous word. Um, yeah. So she says it makes sense because if a kid has to be housed in a mental health facility, staff needs to be able to make all of the day-to-day decisions for her care, but that same process works for unruly teens like me, which went to the company that ran my camp, had total legal control over where I went and what I did. This this girl in particular didn't have any uh, clear, you know, mental health issues. She wasn't depressed. She wasn't bipolar. She wasn't sleeping around um yeah it it wasn't it wasn't that kind of situation we'll get into why even those kinds of situations is not appropriate but um but she says even phone calls to her grandparents were a privilege she had to earn she was allowed five minutes and a staff member sat next to me the entire time listening in if during the call i complained about being unhappy that was called manipulative behavior and they'd end the call. They'd read letters from her grandparents to her, word for word, and packages my friend sent were destroyed right in front of me because dot, 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 tough love. 
So they have total control over everything about the kid. Um, basically, the parental rights are signed away, um, and uh, there's nothing anybody can really do about it. And really, that's where trauma really sets in. You know, yeah. is when when you start to you act because because it's normal, and then you're punished, and this control is just so overwhelming and so almighty that you have no you have no recourse and no say, you know, and. You know, I, right. I often think, I often think about this, like if a parent is willing to do this, they might as well be willing to let their kid run away. Because. Now, sure. Now in some cases, now, I mean, yeah, this is, this is one of those like tricky situations or questions because of the absolute control they have over the child's environment and, and the, um, editing and <clears throat> proofreading and, and destruction of information and material sent back and forth, um, is it possible that in some cases at least that the parents aren't getting the full story and are just unaware of what's really going on? Always, but that's that's from day one, from the first phone call where the salespeople are selling this to the parents. That is what's going on. Right. You know, they're being lied to. They're being given a fluffy, a fluffy painted picture of actually what, what is going to happen to your child on a day-to-day basis. And really, they don't even know what's going on with your child on a day-to-day basis, the salespeople. They're not on the unit all day with the child. They don't see what the staff do. They don't see oh, what goes on. Right, they're probably not there hardly at all, if, if ever. I mean, like I the think people they, who are actually think, selling it. No, I think they. I think sometimes they are. I mean, I think okay. that there is definitely a thing with WAF where you know there's a there's a starting point base where all the sales stuff is done, and then there are other programs in other locations that the kids get sent to. But I, I don't know. I well, remember can, talking to. I remember talking to a salesperson from Cross Creek in a setup call with two other girls, survivors, uh, mm-hmm. and we we talked about we talked about sending our child to this place, and she was sort of like saying how her child is, you know, she would send her child to this place, and how you know her child does all the all the seminars and everything, and you know she made it just seem so normal and fluffy. Right. Wow. So, total control, and and the next problem is is a big one, and it's number four, and it's that um, kids die in their care. Yeah. So, um, Tori had been sent to a, a what they call a wilderness program, uh, very and they continue to be very popular, which. Attempts to solve behavioral problems via the time-honored educational tradition of hiking. Uh, it, it's just absurd to even read that. Um, it didn't matter your age or gender or physical ability. We were all lumped in together. And she goes on to talk about <clears throat> what it was like um, the, that summer that he was sweltering in the pack for about a third of my 14-year-old body weight. So these are like, you know, 30, 40-pound backpacks. Uh, yep. This wasn't like a camp out where you'd hike five or ten miles to a campground or canoe along the river for two or three days. We were out there for weeks, and the adults responsible for us weren't exactly competent woodsmen. Uh, a girl in my group had to wrap fresh gauze and bandages across a third-degree burn on her arm every morning because she had passed out on the rocks in the hot summer sun. Her counselors thought she was faking and decided that the safest course of action was to leave her there. She was later rushed to the hospital and had to get skin grafts. Um, still, at least neither of us died, as happens with some regularity 
because of untrained staff and lack of adequate nourishment, that being the leading cause of death. Yeah, but that, that, it, that, go ahead. That's incredibly traumatic as well. I mean, I remember stuff like that. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much legally blind without glasses and my glasses got broken in a, when I got attacked by a kid and oh, wow. I, I didn't have glasses for four weeks and it's because of the incompetence of sort of the medical staff and the staff to like communicate, okay, well, he's on unit all day, not able to see. Can we get something done? Can you please call to get an appointment? You know, like that, and me not being able to talk, talk, you know, and just not being able to say. And like the, the levels of fear when you're kind of in a situation where if you get hurt like that, you know that you're going to be called a fake and that now it's your fault. So you've got to take care of it. And, like, I mean, it's just so traumatic. It's awful. Right. So it, you think, like, okay, so if this had happened at, like, the Boy Scout camp, it, it, it would be all over the news. Like, if, yeah. if some kids were getting, like, third-degree burns out camping with the Boy Scouts, it would be ridiculous. In fact, there was a um, – uh, factory fire, um, a Girl Scout cookie factory fire in 2009 that got major headlines because it's a big deal, you know. It's like, yeah, but yeah. that's that's not troubled teen. That's that's adventure fun camp. That's that's learning how to be a responsible kid. That's learning uh, how to camp. Like in reality, I mean, they have issues of their own, but but the general premise of something like the Scouts is is not um punishment for for kids who uh are told they have problems. So there's yeah. a difference. Um, and the reason this stuff happens is uh the subject of the third point she makes is that there's literally no regulation. Um right. And if and she goes on to say if you spend time studying these programs you'll notice they all tend to be located in states like Utah and Montana and that's because those states don't have regulations for how these programs are required to treat their kids. Um, right. It's a multi-million dollar industry with tens of thousands of American teens being herded through these programs like cattle. Montana is one of the last states in the country with actually zero oversight. And that may be changing, but we'll get to that uh, in a bit. Um, so they're called schools and they run off private funding and they don't accept government aid. If, because that's the case, the government is not required to intervene. It right. also means that the government isn't allowed to quote, give two shits that the people taking care of the children have police records or simply no credentials. Um, right. And, and it's not cheap. It's, it's very expensive. Um, Teen treatment facilities are the flip side of the uh, quote-unquote rich kid coin. It's nice that your parents can afford to pay for college, but they can also afford to pay $10,000 a month to mold their imperfect 14-year-old into the center daughter they've always wanted. And, and that's kind of that's kind of what the sales pitch is, is that, look, you've yeah. got the money. We, we have the resources and skills to to make your kid the kid that you always dreamed of. Um, right. And uh, so this has been going on for a long time. Um, there was a, a journalist named uh, Maya Slavovic. Uh, she published some, uh, an expose called Help at Any Cost. It That prompted a congressional inquiry in 2006. Yeah. Um, the Government Accountability Office investigated and found that thousands of cases of, of abuse and at least 10 deaths between 1990 and 2004. Um, Congress did propose a bill to regulate but not ban these facilities, and that bill died in committee. They proposed it again, and over and over again through the years, it, it, this, this stuff is brought up, and then it dies in committee and doesn't get voted on. Um, 
it's just not doesn't there doesn't seem to be any momentum behind anyone really doing anything on a government well, level about this, even though they know about it. Yeah, well, we don't have lobbyists, man. <clears throat> you know, right? When's the last time? Uh, when's the last time a troubled teen ever donated a bunch of cash to a political campaign? Right. right. <laughs> you know, like there's no voice there. There's even even advocacy groups are so tiny compared to the wealth and power of the facilities themselves because because they're privately funded and and they're very expensive and they have a lot of cash on hand and they can they can essentially buy off um, politicians because and they have they're not you know, they have any money from the government you know and, they have and he, they have firms that they have their own lawyer firms they have you know yeah. they have they have their own way of writing laws you know and making things okay in in the town that they're doing the things in you know that's right. that's the way it is yeah, these are all internal uh, suggestions and guidelines, really, is kind of what it comes down to. The, the uh, regulatory bodies that yeah. aren't really regulatory bodies that are uh, staffed by the owners and executives of the very facilities that they're supposed to be looking after. Like, that's, yeah. that has something to do with... Um, the the new newer news regarding Montana that we'll get to. Um, okay, so she goes on to point number two uh, that the treatment methods are insane and ineffective. So, <laughs> yeah. since they don't have any standards to abide by, our counselors were free to go with whatever quote unquote treatment sounded like it might work. Um, she says once they took all the girls who had eating disorders and made them eat dinner in front of the boys without using their hands or any utensils, for instance, oh. they would make kids role-play characters from memories of rape and abuse, forcing them to relive childhood horrors, uh, complaining that you put on work assignments, or you lost the privilege of a five-minute phone call. And she wants to remind everybody that this was billed as a treatment facility, not a prison or some kind of punishment. So what what they do is they tailor the, the abuse that they dish out to exactly what kind of child you were. Um, her father left her when she was little. The counselors asked if I thought, he left me because I was inadequate if I believe he thought I was unintelligent, ugly, or fat. And none of these things had ever occurred to me before, but having them shouted at me in a therapy room full of other kids really turned me around on the whole not being ter terribly depressed thing. Like she went in feeling okay, and they created this atmosphere so that she would become depressed because of what they were telling her. And they create, they create, they create mental illness from yeah. this. Right. It doesn't matter if you're a healthy kid when you walk in there. You spend a few hours uh, deprived of sleep, food, and the ability to use the bathroom. When adults call you fat, you're going to walk out there with some kind of condition for sure. Um, it's uh, some of the therapy that uh, she used was um, or was uh, um, subjected to was. She had to dig out tree stumps alone. Um, she used a shovel and a saw, and you know, tree stumps are, are usually removed with um, the help of chains and uh, sometimes even explosives. It's not a not a task for a teenage girl to uh, take on. Um, no. So she showed up in the summer, and now it's December in Montana, and it's freezing. And she's sitting out there every day trying to dig out a tree stump. She could go inside to sleep at night, but as soon as she woke up, she was out there again, and it took uh, several weeks to uh, get it out of the ground. So and she makes this point. Spending $700 a day so your child can dig tree stumps out of the ground seems absurd, but apparently nothing says therapy like giving a depressed child some sharp objects and training in their use. So there's an example, at least one example of in, the, in her case of 
of a therapy that uh, she I mean, was it's subjected just un- to. It's just unbelievable. I mean, like, how, how the fuck, like, and I think about this, too, like, in Heritage, like, the kids who were in isolation and who were in isolation longer than a month, and at one point there was a good group of us who were down there all together for longer than a month, how are they still getting funding for keeping kids in isolation? Like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and how is how can they get funding for making a young girl dig out a tree stump? It's, it's incredible. It's preposterous. Well, I would imagine that either, in her case, the grandparents either didn't know or were mm-hmm. convinced that, or were convinced by the uh, professionals there that that was indeed a viable form of therapy. Like, yep. either yep. either one um, is is kind of your answer, or somewhere in or, the middle there. Or by that, or by that point in the winter, it doesn't matter. You know, the grandparents are now alone without any any responsibility that they they seem to have before. And they're happy as peaches there, so it doesn't matter, you know, to them that they're paying this money for their granddaughter to dig out a stump, you know? Right, right. So we get to the final, her final point, which is probably the most uh, devastating, and it's that, it's that the brainwashing stays with you forever. Um, and she goes on to say, the bullshit stays with you even once you leave the camp. Whenever I felt depressed, my grandparents would genuinely ask if I wanted to go back to Montana. I'm sure in their heads something that expensive couldn't have been a bad experience, no matter how desperately I tried to convince them otherwise. It's the, uh, we've talked about this before, it's the sunk cost fallacy as, child, as applied to child abuse. Basically, you spend tens of thousands of dollars uh, treating your child or, or apparently treating your child, so how... How could it all just be crazy bullshit? So, yeah, they went the other way, and every time, every time she was accepted to college, received a scholarship, or won an award, my success was always directly attributed to the decision to send me to the camp. Um, and uh, she goes on to say, "I still find myself saying intentions are irrelevant." A mantra that I was taught in the program that a grand total of zero people in the real world agree with. I was so terrified of being shipped away again that I didn't even touch alcohol until after I was 21. I still wake up from nightmares of being dragged out of my house and forced aboard the plane. I kept the suitcase packed for a long time just in case. I also have this ridiculous coin they gave me, which translates from Latin to say, we demand greatness, not compliance. Uh, I'm sure you can read plenty of testimonials by parents who are completely happy with a brainwashed little minion who is now free from the horrors of metal music, homosexuality, or legitimate mental illness. Alternatively, you can also read reports that catalog the absurdity of, absurdity of get-tough treatment programs with ramifications including post-traumatic stress disorder as well as causing many teenagers' original problems to worsen. I never forgot that my story is not unique. Between 10,000 and 20,000 teens wind up in these programs every year, and they'll continue to do so because even in the 21st century, society is baffled by adolescents and will resort to desperate, horrific measures in hope of finding a cure. And this was uh, basically a testimonial by uh, a woman named Tori Jane. She's a writer and painter who lives in Los Angeles. And perhaps uh, because she was willing to you know, write this, maybe we can actually get her in person on the show to talk a little bit more about, you know, her experiences in more detail or, or other things that she's learned in the last five years since this yeah. article was written. Yeah. But uh, to, you know, to go off that point that the brainwashing, you know, sticks with you, um, any any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um I still struggle tremendously. I still struggle, like, I have horrendous anger problems, anger outbursts for no reason. And when I'm in it, I'm totally right, and I can't see the other side, and I can't step away. 
And that is that is 100% from a tax therapy group. It's 100%. You know, right. I I I I think that when when I first encountered the tax therapy in Texas, it it really shifted my my way of thinking and my way of acting, particularly in the program. Like I had to just I had to completely give in during those sessions, you know, and those sessions went on sometimes for three hours. We'd just be stuck in these chairs, just going at each other, getting through goals and going at each other. And like, you know, I I don't know how to, I don't know how to sort of, you know, deal with my PTSD because it's really it's a tremendously isolatory diagnosis as well. What I have is the troubled teen industry diagnosis. You know, I went through it. I went through it for four years. And prior to that, I had, I had post-traumatic stress disorder, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was just a, you know, a, a coupling of like this, so much trauma in so little time. Or, or so much time, you know, as an adolescent, just going through it. Right. It's not something that's easily reversed. I mean, it's such a, it's such a intense and <sighs> abusive situation that, that people tend not to be able to easily escape from what they've been through. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. And, yeah. And, you know, because it, it's relatively, private and mostly unknown by the general public like still at this point even most people really don't know what goes on or, or they're not um they're just not in that in that economic bracket to even consider the idea of uh, shipping their kid off or you know yeah um so it's not something that's uh generally known um the people that do find out about the suffer just across the board kind of like horrified and confused that the, this kind of, this kind of thing is allowed to go on. Um, but there's always this kind of, uh, loss. People find themselves at, at a loss for what to do about it. And part of the reason is because the, this industry is self-regulated. Um, it's just, yeah. um, and, and in particular, we're talking about Montana. They, they have failed over and over and over again to, uh, beef up regulation of programs for so-called troubled teens over and over and over again. Um, and it's, and Montana kind of parallels what's, what's happening on a national level that, Kind of people get concerned. Uh, Congress people get concerned. They 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 find out what's going on. They write a bill and say this needs to change, and no one cares. Over and over yeah. and over again. Um, in fact, the <clears throat> Stop Child Abuse and Residential Programs for Teens Act has been introduced in Congress every year since 2006 by by one guy, a guy named uh, George Miller from California, who represented. His California, and yeah. then more recently by um, uh, Adam Schiff of California, who reintroduced it in 2017 after the first guy retired, and it's yeah. never gotten it's never gotten farther than passage by the House in 2010, and then it died in committee in 2017. And so what what this means is that there's a lack of federal oversight. And what that means is that there's no database of programs and no national tracking of abuse allegations and complaints. So every every kid that dies, every abuse allegation that comes to light uh, is handled very close to home. And even when people go to jail or or you know face like severe consequences for abusing children, it, it all happens on the local level. So that person just gets removed. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the obvious abuser, um, 
and things just kind of continue as they were. And in fact, in a lot of cases, the facilities used use this stuff as further advertisement that they're doing things right because because that problem has been eliminated. So now now we're even better than we were before because we don't have that that bad right. person on our staff who slept slipped through the cracks somehow. Um, right. <clears throat> right. So there are these official sounding organizations like the National Association of Therapeutic Schools and Programs or NATSAP and they absolutely have zero licensing powers. They're just dominated by people in the industry. It's kind of like fox guarding the hen house, basically. Um yep. and and that's what's being pointed out pointed out as the reason to change laws. People are saying you need independent third party regulation. My opinion is is that these places should really just be shut down and and new models should be built that don't involve hardly any of the stuff that was documented by by the girls' experience. Like, you know, just like from the ground up, create real therapeutic environments for for people. You know, the teens of people who seem to be suffering from things that they can't overcome. But, you know, it just it seems to require a whole wiping away of all of this stuff and, and, uh, and, reassessing, and, whether, and reassessing whether these kinds of facilities are needed in the first place. Like, we, we, know, also, we know situations where, where people have avoided shipping their kids away and things have turned out pretty well, you know? Well, also, like, for there to be, like, an overhaul and and from the ground up, you know, rehaul of all of this, you need so much money to create individualized programs, you know, with actual fucking, you know, licensed people to do. I mean, what these troubled teen schools are selling is impossible for the price that the parents are paying. How about that? Right. And therefore, therefore, what happens is the kid is stuck with non-licensed staff for the majority of their time in program. And they barely ever see a licensed staff, you know, or anyone. Right. They don't even have, but that's, that again is part of the problem. They don't, they don't, they aren't required to have any kind of certification or license to be there. They can just call themselves whatever they want. Yeah, but to have that kind of money, to have specialists come in and actually treat, individualize, you know, and have it done right, that's impossible. We don't have the money for that. No one does. Oh, no. I mean, if it was like, if it was like something like, uh, like, like it publicly advertised. funded? Yeah, but if it was advertised, man. You know, oh, if it was. Right. If it was at, as advertised and your kid actually got to go to this happy place where they they had individualized programs and they saw individualized, you know, licensed staff all day and they were, they were, you know, being re, re taught how to live and, you know, given a chance again or, or just, you know, given therapy and, and a therapeutic environment to live in so they're not in an abusive situation. Where they're understood. Right. I mean, all of that it like, would be way too expensive. Prices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It would, it would be far, even far more. I guess. See, and that's that's what I don't understand. I mean, these places are are are, are incredibly expensive as it is. So yeah. Then you, then you wonder, like, okay, where's all that money going to? Like, to uh, like, you know, who's getting who's getting paid? I, I don't. And so it's really hard to find that, out. That's where I think these sort of knapsack things come in. And like, I mm-hmm. think you create another 501c3 that is based upon like regulating. And that's where you launder your money. And everyone gets to dip into that pool. You know? Right. Right. There was the, um, oh, what's it? I forget the name of the, um, I forget the name of the facility where, where the executive director, it's in Montana, and it, I should know this, 
but I, I don't recall the name of the the school. But I was looking at the financial records and um the like executive director borrows a million dollars a year from the from the the non profit, you know, no, that's, funds. That was that was heritage, Marcus. Yes, it that was. was. That it was where I went in Utah, yeah. And that's right. part of NatSAP. That's part of NatSAP. And if you think there isn't laundering going on, you're absolutely out of your mind. This whole thing is a huge scam. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if you if you don't care about children and you want to make a lot of money, open up a troubled teen facility. <laughs> like, Go how for crazy it. is that? Like, you no, know, because because the kids are just seen as, I guess, big dollar signs. Um, yeah, because as we know, it doesn't take any real reason to to have your child shift away. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be a legitimate reason. It doesn't have to be any reason. All that matters is that you can pay for it, and they will gladly uh, come get your kid for you if you're willing to pay the bill. And I mean, I I kind of I'm, I'm seeing that with what's going on with this loss group as well because this wasp group is kind of there's a wasp group that's uh hold on it's called wasp fighters media and press now and wasp they're, called, hold on let's let's pause for a moment wasp uh, stands for worldwide association of specialty schools wwas program program specialty program yeah. right sorry um so that would be wasp otherwise uh so wasp yes So basically, it it starts out with this kind of like seminar uh, brainwashing guy who was part of this other this other core group that used to sort of like go into corporations and help adults who were working for corporations to be more compliant to the corporations through going through these seminars. He decides to start up this place. And I think instantly kids just started pouring in. I don't mm-hmm. think it takes much when when you start this up. But no, apparently there are a lot of parents who want to ship their kids off and who have the you have the money to be able to afford it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy. Um it just uh it's just baffling. The whole concept still, even though I've, I've I mean been, one of the one of the things that this group is is trying to find out is the connection to WASP and U.S. Youth Service Red River Academy, mm-hmm. Bethel Academy, Bell Academy, Terra Bella, California, Woodland Hills Maternity Home, Utah, which I think is a teen maternity home. Okay. Reality wow. Trek, Utah, Pineview Christian Academy. And Skyview Christian Academy. Hmm. And the connections between Mel Wassum and Robert, and Robert Litch, Litchfield and Mel Sembler, uh, all connect back to when Aspen Education Group purchased Seadu Inc. Okay. It's when you start adding in the wilderness programs that it, it, it that it is complicated with SAWS. And turnabout no, ranch. Is this is this uh, related to that that chart you sent to me? Yeah, yeah, where where it kind of shows the connections between different different organizations, and different yeah. facilities, and yeah, that's uh, it, it is definitely a, a big web of um, defense against any outside influence that might want to change, um, and. There's a re- I guess there's a reason why these this legislation that keeps being proposed keeps failing. It's because somebody's getting their pockets lined with all of this this money that yeah. parents are paying to have their kids therapized that is really just abuse. And so I guess that answers the question: Where is this money going? It's going it's going to politicians who right. who do not want this system to be changed because it's making them wealthy. 
Correct. And getting them reelected so that they Correct. can later on retire and become lobbyists for the very organizations that they're supporting now. Right. Yeah. Um, what a what a great gig. Like I'm going to become a politician and accept money from these these shady corporations that hurt kids and then finish my term of office and then go get get right back into the so-called regulatory board that oversees this stuff and and does nothing except continue to get rich it's uh yeah it's pretty clear and and hopefully it's 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 a glimmer of hope but hopefully even though these things don't seem to be getting a lot of traction the more the more people talk about it the more awareness is spread the more people will begin to take notice and and even even be aware of of what's going on and parents stop sending your kids to these places there are other options there really are i mean and this you know, I, I just want to say how proud I am of all the survivors because it's the survivors that are the ones who have dug the legacy of this and understand sort of how it's all connected. And it's only through the survivors that we know that. Right. Right. I mean, that's why we started doing this series right. in the first place because you shared with me what you went through and, and we both decided yep. that it would be beneficial for people to be able to tell what happened to them and and you know kind of get it off their chest because in a lot of cases people are reluctant to talk about this stuff because people either don't understand or it's so really scary or or they're they've they've been threatened by the very facilities they've left um yeah there's a lot of that that goes on and and so i'm i'm really also very proud of of uh all of the uh survivors and, and you in particular for for being willing to uh to, to you know to continue to do this we seem to be gaining more um people who are listening to what we're talking about on a on a daily basis and you can see it in the in the comments that we receive like there's there's some gratitude that's being expressed and yeah and, and that's that's exactly what we're doing this for that one yep. person who yep. who never heard anyone tell the truth about these places and finally has and is saying thank you for getting the word out and um it's just you know there's only one uh, one person in the audience and it's that survivor who's scared and doesn't know who to turn to and sometimes the the best option is to just tell your story even if even if you don't want to use your your name, even if you just want to say this happened to me, and um, yeah, I, I finally found the courage to express it, and that's uh, that's fantastic. Like that's therapy, you know, being able to yeah. finally get I, it, get it out. Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't tell you how how my life has changed and and the way I can talk about this. Is because I found groups of other survivors who were talking in a way that really made sense to me and was what I really wanted to wanted to say, you know. Yeah, I mean, so and, long. Absolutely, and you know, we sometimes we come across, uh, you know, disagreements within the groups and and yeah, you know, uh, anger and, and resentment and 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 that's okay and. You know that's yeah. that's fine. Like these these people, we because I've had my own experience have have been through a hell of a lot, and and it's okay that we don't always get along. You know that's fine. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. because we know what we've been through, and and we know how these experiences continue to affect us. Yeah. And and so there is there is compassion and understanding even when things get rough you know amongst the group so yeah so i bear no ill will towards anybody who uh has ever had a disagreement with the way that we disclose this stuff or talk about it or or bring stuff into the light 
um, because there are, there are, I guess the best way to put it, there are actually, you know, double agents out there who sure. are the, you know, appearing to be the, the receptive, nice, cooperative friend. Um, and sometimes what we find is that it's another sales tactic <laughs> that yeah. thing, to say that, that yes, um, there's some there's some bad actors, but it's not all bad. And and still, my mission, I guess, if, if there's a mission that I really have, it's to it's to find a good one. And so far, we haven't done that. And right. you know, if there is a if there is a real therapeutic boarding school out there, contact us and let us know what you're doing differently, because. You're getting you're getting a bad rap if you if you actually exist, (laughs) you know. Like, is there one? No, I don't think so. But if I have yet to find it, I have yet to find it. I I have yet to find one. I mean, because because look, what I was trying to say about that that connection where Wasp bought Aspen and then see which was Sidu that. That is the stem of Cinnamon, and that is why mm-hmm. these places use cult tactics. Right. And that is why these places are cults. And that is yes. why none of them are any good. Because yes. Cinnamon, connected... for those, Cinnamon, for those who don't know, is the uh, cult version of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, yeah. That, that sprung up... Um, I guess back in the seventies and, and some, somebody decided, I forget, I forget the name of the person. It's not that important, but somebody decided that, that the real way to, to help people with problems was to force them into it and then attack them for their shortcomings and, and isolate them from, from, from the world. And then it got translated into, Oh, if, if we can do this with adults, how much easier would it be to, to do with children? Because they don't have any rights. So, and we can make money off of this stuff. So, yeah, Synanon is, is a real key to how this all developed. Um, and, and that uh, led to, that led to straight ink. That led to straight ink. And Aspen was already owned by Mitt Romney's company. Or right. uh, bank. And then Wasp buys Aspen. And that's... Uh, I, I think... No, Aspen wasn't owned by... Uh, Bain at that point. Aspen was owned by Sembler and Dietrich, who were mm. part of Synanon and um or Sin or Sembler and um someone else, I can't remember his name. Oh, Wasserman, right. who were part of Straight Inc. Who okay. who that was the that was who took from Synanon to, to Team. And that's how it okay. jumped to Team. Right. So, it sounds a lot like uh what happened with Elon, which is also something yeah. that that yeah. people should uh, take a take a listen to because we have quite a few uh, stories about about that that place yeah. and uh, yeah. that seems to be popping up again as an example of what not to do as well. Again, we'll see if it if this kind of gains any any traction. Yeah. Elon has kind of come back into the into the public consciousness as as the horrible place that it was, and I'm yeah. really glad that people are. Again, talking about talking about it, even though it closed down years ago, the the influence of, of that place in particular is still widely felt around the country, around the world, in in this so-called industry. Um, a lot of the techniques that were kind of pioneered there are still being used, like the attack therapy stuff, isolation, uh, yeah. being put out in the middle of nowhere so that escape is uh, is not really even viable. Heightened in the woods, uh, so when people do run away, they get immediately caught. Um, making people dress up in stupid outfits, or wearing signs that, that that say how stupid they are, dunce caps, um, humiliation therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I guess I guess that's it. I think uh, I think you know, even yeah. though. Uh, even though the Montana stuff is kind of uh, 
sputtering a little bit at this point. At least there again is some attention being paid to the yeah. lack of regulation and, and the and the real abuses that are going on and the deaths that are going on with yeah. uh, these children that are being uh, legally kidnapped and imprisoned. Wow. It's always it's always so um, emotional to talk about this stuff, even though yeah, it's awful. You, you never it's awful. get used to it. You know, you never you never no, really get used to it because, I know. And because it, it it brings up my shit and yeah, I know, but it helps me because at least I can talk about it. You know, it did right. happen for so long. I was told it didn't happen, and yeah. you know, the whole time I was in it, I didn't know why it was happening or the reasoning. You know, necessarily. So, you know, whatever. So I I have to talk about it. Yeah. So maybe one day, you know, in the in the not too distant future, we'll 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 get on the podcast and and talk about how uh, how things have changed, um, or that, uh, or or suddenly like facilities are being shut down like uh, like a row of dominoes. Yeah. And and, or people are going to prison or. <laughs> yeah, it really would be nice. So, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll keep at it. And um, uh, this is an invitation for anybody to uh, you know to reach out to us um, in the in the comment section and uh, and let us know if you have any input or want want to yeah. talk about this stuff. And I guess we'll just leave it at that. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you as always. It's. Uh, yeah, thank you, Marcus. Yeah, we'll uh we'll keep, we'll keep on trucking. Yep. All right, take care. All right, bud. Bye.